Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. With each episode, our diverse and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention, together, to breathe, to reflect, and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice that we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Southwestern Advantage is about so much more than just helping your family with education. Our company is the nation's oldest entrepreneurial program, helping college and university students build character and develop the skills they need to achieve their goals in life. These are the kind of skills employers seek that cannot be taught in a classroom. Skills such as problem solving, effective personal communication with people from all walks of life, confidence, attitude, goal setting, and more. Since 1855, the Southwestern family of companies has invested in purpose-driven people who are inspired to build principle-guided businesses that impact the world. And for many, that purpose started with a summer at Southwestern Advantage. But this program isn't just about growing the young men and women whom you'll see in the community. It's also about growing your own son or daughter, and the educational resources they will bring to your home are second to none, with learning systems that address the whole child from preschool to 12th grade. Uniquely designed by top educators, these resources serve the modern needs of today's private, public, and homeschooled students. They're kid-approved, parent-preferred, and teacher-recommended. At Southwestern Advantage and the Southwestern Family of Companies, we invest in building people and inspire them to achieve their goals in life to positively impact the world. Learn more at southwesternadvantage.com slash action. Welcome back to the Action Catalyst. This is Adam Outland. We're continuing the discussion we began in episode 417 with our guest, Magnolia founder, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, Chip Gaines. You know, you brought up a couple of things that I jotted down. One is, you know, why you do what you do. And one of the mottos that you guys have carried, I think, since inception was, we believe in home. I love that. I was going to ask a little bit about that in conjunction with how you, how you figured this out. How did you go from all the different experiences you had into knowing that, you know, we believe in home motto and, and jumping into renovation and, and construction and design? Yeah. Great question, man. I mean, simple story is that I started a little lawn care company. I started a half dozen companies and I joke with Joe and in kind of public forums that it's just like all my businesses were nonprofits. I mean, until I met Joe, none of the things that I thought were going to be life-changing, multi-million dollar opportunities. Right. Zero of those things happened. You know, I was right. worthless. I was an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, literally. But I mean, I could not figure out like how to make any of these things actually make money, how to make them work. And then Joe was definitely the secret ingredient that that was added to the uh, to the pie that made it uh, made it finally start coming together, if you will. But but I I did work really hard. I mean, I I learned that again as a young man, really in my parents' house. We just we worked. I mean, you know, on Saturday you woke up early. You were pulling weeds in a flower bed. You were mowing grass. If it wasn't for free for your rent and board in your own house, which was kind of our you know general upbringing philosophy, it was to neighbors' houses, and you could keep that money and buy yourself a 
something that you were, you know, I kind of always, you know, I grew up in one of those that all my needs were taken care of, but the wants were kind of like on, on my side of the ledger. So if you wanted something that was outside that need category, you went and did what you needed to do to make it work. And if it worked great, if it didn't work out, well, you, you know, you went without the want and uh, just kind of, you know, settled back down, you know, to wherever you were before that idea popped into your brain. But as I wrestled through this hard work and Southwestern again, kind of put a cherry on top of that already pretty formulated foundation was just this idea that, man, I can do this. I can do hard things. I can do things that most people can't. And so I kind of took that into my college career. And then after college, I just worked. I mean, sun up to sundown. I didn't, I don't have a lot of hobbies even to this day. I would say if I have a shortcoming and a thing that I sort of like, oh, I wish I kind of have a regret in this sense. It's that I just literally don't have hobbies. My hobbies are my family. My hobby is sitting daydreaming about another business that we could start if we were to put these pieces of the puzzle together. I mean, it's kind of like I'm hobbyless is 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 a real shortcoming that I have and, and try to communicate and confess because at the end of the day, you're going to have to give up on something. Something is going to fall short of your life's you know best case scenario. And and if that's your family and you're willing to concede there, well, then great. That, that'll be something that falls in a secondary or thirdary category. For me, it's always been opposite. You know, my family, whether this business works, whether we end up famous, whether we end up broke or on the opposite side of that, you know, my family is going to be one of these things that I'll be able to go and ride off into the sunset knowing that I put it first and, and cared most about it over all these other alternatives. But but when I was wrestling through these like little business ideas and these little concepts and whatnot, I basically was rocking and rolling nearly 24 hours a day on this lawn business. And it was a lawn care landscape. We did irrigation. We did this little package of of concepts. But I, again, never could really break out of the mold and really make big, real money out of it. It was always kind of a thirty to $50,000 kind of annual income that I had right out of college. But I also had this wash and fold and I made a little money there. So I had three or four things always going that all put together into one pot were about what all my buddies were making at their bank jobs or working selling copiers, you know, somewhere. So I, it just took a lot of effort for me to just equal what everybody who normally goes to college and graduates and then starts a normal career, you know, it's like, hey, you're making blank amount of dollars a year. Well, I had to do three or four different businesses in order to uh, make that to put- <laughs> yeah, to make exactly to make that one number happen. And so when Joe came into the equation, what I had started doing and pretty early on in, in my career, for sure, was I would take this money from mostly the the lawn care business and I would invest in these little residential properties and we would, you know, fix them up and then we would either rent them or sell them or, or live in them. You know, we always had these kind of A, B's and C's options. Well, Joe came into the equation. Uh, she was the secret ingredient and just the things that she would do in these little spaces really set these, these units apart. So not only did Baylor students want to rent these units over other units that were available next door and down the street. But then people that wanted to buy houses wanted to buy these units instead of units just down the street. So again, we weren't doing this in a real large scale sense, but I'd probably do about 10 of these a year. And Joe and I both early, early in our marriage and early in our kind of business relationship, if you will, started realizing how important that space called home is. And then Joe and I both even grew up in real similar environments in the sense that how comfortable and how safe and how stable we felt in each of our 
lives growing up, despite the fact we had so many differences and there were so un- so many unique things about Joanna and her family, so many unique things about me and my family. But bottom line, the thing that was not unique and was not uncommon between us is just this vein that our house, our literal home felt safe and felt like a place where we could express ourselves, felt like a place that we could be open and honest. Our parents were great. Our siblings were great. All of these things. So Joe and I really started really sinking in with this idea that if, and I mean, it's a big giant if, because even as a society, we you can realize strategically and statistically that when you get this thing right, this thing called home right, you can build from there and things are possible that are very difficult if that thing called home is not right. And so for Joe and I, we have landed in this beautiful place now, again, as as uh, you know, I'm nearing 50. She's kind of in her mid 40s. We just landed in this very beautiful place that our mission, you know, our purpose on planet Earth is really about home. And when you think about restoration and renovating homes, which is obviously where most people uh, were introduced to us through the show Fixer Upper, where we did that practical, you know, very functional thing. But then now as we've evolved into Joe having a magazine and us having a network and and the business that is Waco and and Magnolia and Magnolia silos and Magnolia restaurants and Magnolia coffee shops, all the things, you know, we really kind of always bring it back to this place when we're here, when you're here, we want it to feel like home to you. We want it to feel familiar. We want it to feel safe. We want it to feel encouraging, you know, all of these things that if done right, and that's the million dollar uh, point is that not everything is is great as it relates to home. There's lots of people that think of home as a scary, traumatic place, opposite of the way I re- recall it or the the way I hope my kids recall their childhood home in that sense. But when you say that that's important to Joe and I, I do want to land on this exclamation point that it's just like we really believe that if you can get this thing called home right, the way you build out from there really can change, really can change everything, can change the world. I love it. I think if anything, we look back and say, it started off with, we believe in home being the, the household. And you summed it up really well in saying that home has probably expanded a little bit in the sense that you've you know changed the landscape of Waco to represent some of those same belief systems and values that you have. I mean, you see your imprint in your community now uh, and, and even, you know, larger on a national and global level through your brand and the people that follow that. So- uh, you know, while the, I don't think that mission's ever changed, it just it's encompassed more and more important. And you've invited a lot of people into your your home. So I, I love love how you shared that. Absolutely. Um, we love Waco and we're thankful that this uh, platform has given us the opportunity to really shine a really much needed light on this beautiful community because it's not perfect. And and we we fully embrace that imperfection and understand it or not naive about it. But in the same token, we're just so proud, so proud of Waco and what it means to us and our family. And and so many people really get to come to Waco in most cases for the first time, if it's through the show and through Joe and I's, through our relationship, you know, people come here and they're typically like, wow, you know, this is this is great. What a beautiful community. And, and we're just thankful that we've been able to kind of shed that kind of a uh, light on on a community that, that has for, you know, for decades kind of uh, had the exact opposite uh, persona. Mm, yeah, I love it. Well, I listen, just a personal question from watching you and, and what you just shared. We coach a lot of our, our kids and our clients on vision being an important factor. I just wanted to ask, 
in the early stages of, of you and Joanna sitting down, thinking through the big picture of what this is going to become, do you feel like that your vision was so big, it could fit all this in it and more from, from the beginning? Or did the, the creation stretch your thinking and your vision around this? Yes. And I think this is a great thought. And unfortunately, I kind of fall squarely in the opposite side of this, this perspective. But again, it kind of goes back to that chicken of the egg or nature and nurture. It's like, really, there is no right or wrong answer. You know, it's a little bit of both. And for some people, it's more nurture than nature. And some people, it's opposite. I mean, for me specifically, I, I do believe this. For sure, I want to over-communicate the idea of positive thinking and positive um, self self-evaluation. You know, it's just like, if you don't believe it's possible, I will argue. And I mean, to be very frank, this kind of, kind of, kind of chokes me up because there's so many people that don't value themselves in a worthy way. And worthy can be working at the local big box store, you know, shelving groceries. It's not about what you do or what you bring home or the value you bring quote unquote net worth. You know, it's like, I'm talking about your value as a human being. And I would say that I had a strong value of who I was. And so in that sense, I want to speak to the idea that, yes, I believed all of this was possible and all of this became possible because of that pre-existing belief. But I mean, I'll just be perfectly frank. When Joe and I got through season one of Fixer Upper, I sat her down. And I mean, I wish I could have uh, recorded this because it would have been like one of the funniest, uh, you know, moments in time to where now, you know, I've arrived as a businessman and I'm going to express these thoughts to my beautiful wife and explain to her how things have been rough the last couple of years, maybe close to a decade of our marriage. But, you know, I can see the future and here's the deal. And I sat Joe down and I mean, dead serious, like in a real formal, I mean, I, I surely I didn't, but I can almost imagine I wore a tie for the first time in years and I <clears throat> was going to really impress Joe. And I was like, well, I've done all this research and I've done all this math and I've got a little business plan together. Joe, you're going to be so proud if things go the way I see them going with Fixer Upper and the show and the kind of introduction to of us to the you know quote unquote world if you will first season was pretty normal and somewhat uneventful and in a lot of ways people kind of think it happened instantly it really didn't but season one and and I'm telling her and I was like if we play our cards right Joanna if we do all these things and I mean I listed them out on a piece of paper if we do all of these things we'll be the largest home builder in Central Texas and uh, I mean in three to five years we'll have you know it, you know nearly nearly you know cornered the market you know if we'll just do <laughs> these things right and little did I know that you know hilariously now close to a decade fast forward, construction is a very small piece of our business. I mean, everything yeah. that Joe has done retail wise, the magazine, the network, I mean, anything yeah. other than construction are like <laughs> these enormous mind boggling, you know, circumstances. Yeah. And then here my little construction company is, and I mean, true story, my construction company, which really is my construction company. We have a construction company, a passion of Joe and I's both. It's kind of our first love, if you will, is not much bigger, if bigger at all than when we started this thing five or 10 years ago, but every other category not related to construction is like a hundred X. And so uh, I, I want to kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth that yes, I believe and agree wholeheartedly that if you start off with a sour impression of who you are in your heart, like in your soul, 
who you are as a person. It's very, very difficult to go off and do these big, grandiose, incredible things. It's just, I mean, I'd almost say it's virtually impossible. You know, you've you've already locked all of those doors that could potentially be open just because you really don't believe that you're capable of walking through them. That it, you don't think you're capable of of accomplishing any of those things. So you just discredit yourself before you ever even get into the box, before you ever even get, you know, your first at bat, you've already said, I, I don't qualify. I'm not good enough. And, and Joe and I both really believe sincerely in our hearts that we did qualify and we were good enough. But yeah. to say that I had this big vision and, and there was this business plan that included all of these great entities and we were going to tie them together via this thing called home. I mean, heck no, this was a miracle in every sense of the word. And Joe and I were just recipients of putting one foot in front of the other, very biblical kind of feeling to where it's just like, we just had a flashlight that, that revealed just a step or two out. And then we would take those few steps and we'd take a few more steps. And then eventually finally came out of the dark or the cave. And you did realize you were in this incredible place, but it wasn't because of strategy or, or brilliant business, you know, acumen, it was just uh, just real faithfulness and uh, dedication to doing the next possible good thing that we could do with these opportunities that kept presenting themselves to us. And then because of our ability to believe in ourselves and believe that we were capable and qualified to keep doing these things, we kept doing them. And we just kind of kept proving ourselves right, if you will, on the idea that I love this thought, bet on yourself. It's like we just kept betting on ourselves and that stack just kept getting bigger and thicker and and more powerful. And we just kept pushing it all. Okay, well, that was fun. You know, let's push it back into the pot and see what happens next. And 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 some great things happened as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chip, don't worry. Uh, you still can be the largest construction company in tech. <laughs> no, it's amazing. You kept kept open arms and open eyes to to opportunity as it presented himself. And yes, you've grown up knowing what you know now. I mean, just looking back at 21 Chip Gaines, 21-year-old uh, Baylor graduate, you know, doing his four businesses to to pull together an income. <laughs> what what advice or what feedback, if you could give that 21-year-old version of yourself, would you just provide knowing what you know now? Sure. I'm so passionate about this thought because for me and Joe, really, and especially because of my personality, I building it up in some positives for sure, because there's so many positives about being a quote unquote salesman or being confident enough to stand up in a lunchroom and and do things that most kind of would shy away from naturally. But I would say that that because of my self-esteem, and I would argue high self-esteem, and, and again, kind of in the positive sense, not in the arrogant, egotistical, narcissistic, negative side of this thought, but just the positives that could come from confidence and self-esteem. I would have been a bad person had success had come to me so early. I remember my 30th birthday party. I refer to it as my the best day of my life. And Joe's always a pretty offended by that, you know, just like because there's been some great things, obviously five beautiful children and a marriage to the love of my life. And then obviously all the circumstances that come with, uh, you know, uh, success and notoriety and all these things. But I still remember this 30th birthday party, my sweet Joe. Uh, surprised me with this. So I go golfing with a couple of buddies and I hate golf. And I was kind of actually a little mad that it was like, why are we doing this? I don't even like to play golf. And here it is my birthday and I'm doing this crappy thing. I don't even want to do this. And then they brought me home from golf. And I basically walked into like this party 
And it was in this 800 square foot house. Joe and I could not have been broker. I think we had a kid or two at the time. So we were just little bitty infant babies. But I mean, everybody was there. And I remember this party just being this incredible night with old friends and new friends and my wife and family. I mean, all mixed together in this perfect, perfect pot. But I remember the next day, my parents were kind of wrapping up and leaving and they came over and they said, hey, Chip, does it does it hurt your feelings for some of your old friends to come over like that? And I was, I was almost like taken aback. I was like, why would that hurt my feelings? Mom, that was like the best day of my life. What? And she was like, well, you had to have noticed that two or three of those kids that you thought you were going to be at least on par with, if not like their bosses, they all drove up in cars that are as valuable as the house you live in. Like surely that dawned on you. And I swear to God, it hadn't. And the way my mom said it, I remembered it was kind of this moment. And I joke all the time, if you've seen Austin Powers in one of the series of Austin Powers, somebody tells him that he's got bad teeth. And his oh, yeah. whole life, he didn't realize he had bad teeth because, right. you know, he's from Britain. And obviously, you know, yeah. people in Britain have bad teeth. It's kind of like this, you know, superficial kind of stereotypical funny joke. And the rest of the scene, he's kind of covering his teeth up like, oh, my gosh, I've got bad teeth and nobody's ever told me this. It never dawned on me that the house that Joe and I lived in, that we had invited all these people, some of which were Dallas and Austin and and and, and uh, Houston, big, relevant 30-year-old superstars like I thought I was. I thought I was d- doing all these things. I had 10 or 15 rental properties. We were flipping yeah. a few of these. I was doing this small business and this small business. Mom kind of runs that thought past me. And it was almost like it dawned on me in this pretty sad way. Like, man, I thought, and it didn't dawn on me until she said it. And then the next few weeks, I really was processing through this idea. Like, I thought I would have been further in my career by now. And I just want to encourage those Uh, of you that are listening that it's just like this stuff doesn't typically happen overnight and for those of of us and not me but just anybody the the human race the where it happens really early you know i i think some real uh 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 very important moments happen in those young people's lives to where they better figure out what's important to them and quickly because the success can over can can paint over you know real problems, real insecurities that we each have in our own hearts and our our souls and our lives. And with Joe and I, all of those insecurities and all those circumstances were really raw. They were really exposed. I was a 30-year-old who was voted most likely to succeed and most likely to be the next president of the United States. And you're literally going, did I peak in high school? Like, is this, is it, was that the bet? It was at the most I was ever going to do is all these accolades in a, in a, in a, in a yearbook somewhere tucked away in a closet. I mean, I had a real moment as a 30 year old adult now with a kid or two on the ground and a young marriage. And so from that point, I just started remembering, just kind of noticing as our, as our career evolved. And I mean, it evolved quickly in in a positive way but then the cra- the real estate crash really affected Joe and I cuz we had a lot of of irons in the fire at exactly the worst time imaginable very 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 little cash and a lot of debt and a lot of projects that we were that we were um pushing towards the horizon and that 08 09 2010 kind of crash occurred in our literal backyard and i mean it almost bankrupt joe and i and i always joke it's like i think if we we didn't have enough 
stuff to actually declare bankruptcy. Everybody was just like, bro, you're not going to make it. You know, this isn't going to work. A and B are not equaling C. And so there were just, it was almost a two year period to kind of dig ourselves out of what felt like an enormous crater, an enormous hole. And then all of a sudden, magically, like, like, like God knew what he was doing, Fixer Upper came right on the tail end of, I'd say there were two years of real hardship to where Joe and I were literally doing the, the rice and beans kind of, uh, you know, very frugal, trying to pay off debts, trying to dig ourselves out of this, what felt like this overwhelming uh, circumstance that we had found ourselves in, but little by little by little. And we got to where I'd say we were kind of at third base not in the positive sense that we were like, we could see the horizon was beautiful and we were just about there. But I mean, just third base in the sense that we were almost out of this miserable scenario that we had found ourselves in. And about six or 12 months from that point, Fixer Upper, uh, it was actually a production company and they called and said, hey, can we feature your family? We, we love what you're doing. We'd like to follow you around on a couple of shows. We had no, I mean, a couple of projects. We had no earthly idea about television or anything about it. It literally, it generally speaking, or literally speaking, we were just like, who are these people? I <laughs> truly thought it was a scam. I thought it was like one of these things to where you're going to send somebody $5,000 and you were going to inherit, you know, some, you know, Middle Eastern fortune or something like that. I thought literally it was that much of a scam. But all that to say was like, we got to that place and we said yes to that little opportunity. And they came down, they were real people. We connected with them in a lot of really cool ways. And we started building what eventually became Fixer Upper. But had that happened in in my world, maybe 10 years prior, 15 years prior, I don't think I would have been a great human being because I I really got to learn so clearly humility and and how how money really works. You know, people think money is going to be the answers to some problem. It's not. It's a it's no different than saying is the shovel an answer to some problem. It's a, it's an answer to the problem of you needing to dig a hole. But if you think it's going to answer the problem of how do I fix my life or how do I make my marriage better or how do I figure out uh, what my purpose is on planet Earth, that shovel's not going to be any more helpful to you than the than the man on the moon. So you know, money just there's so many things that it gives you the ability to do if you're excited about philanthropy or business. You know, there's amazing ramifications that can come from money, but but there's so many negatives that can come from it that if it's not if it's not placed appropriately in your life and and the importance of it is not clearly articulated, it can be such a destructive measure. And uh, so for Joe and I, we're just so thankful that the kind of success and the circumstances happened to us a little bit later in life because we get to now look up and are just realizing, look, it wasn't about the money. It never was. So the things that motivate me to continue to put one foot in front of the other are always something else. But I guess I would go back to my 20-year-old self and just say, it's not going to happen overnight. And the, the success that does happen overnight, you don't want it. You don't want that kind of success. You want the kind of success that people are talking about when you're in your 70s and 80s. And and Joe and I, for sure, proof is not in the pudding, kind of knock on wood. We'll see how it all shakes out. But we would love to be in a rocking chair somewhere, hopefully on the farm in Waco, Texas, looking back in the rearview mirror of our lives and say, it, it worked. You know, the things that we thought, the things that we uh, felt were the most important priorities to us have now all landed and have all created their own you know, systems and their own and their own roots are deep and their own growth is enormous. And and wouldn't that be something to kind of be able to sit back and look and and realize that 
that that the thing that you did that definitely took time and took lots of patience and took lots of hard work was really the better way to build that thing as opposed to the quicker option that maybe there'll be people in the same predicament looking at their things that are all in shambles and and have all washed down the beach realizing you know you didn't build it for the long term you know oh, I think our listeners are going to appreciate the idea that patience is part of that and that it comes sometimes on the heels of the low <laughs> that you sure. got to work. This has been uh, this has been great. Really appreciate how generous you are with your time and and some of the wisdom, Chip, and love that we both have uh, the positive PTSD experience of having knocked on some doors and gotten rejected <laughs> three thousand times. So <laughs> it led us to that next yes. You know, it was the three thousand and one. That was the important one, wasn't it? Yeah, I tell you what. Well, Chip, hopefully we get to do this again in the future. Um, I, I wish your family the best and what you guys are building. Awesome, Adam. Thank you for having me, man. That was fun. That was cool. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.